0: Welcome to The Naked Podcaster, Naked at Noon. I'm your host, Jen Taylor. I'd like to thank NGBN Carson City TV for hosting The Naked Podcaster. Download the NGBN.tv app anywhere you can download an app, TV, or mobile device and catch all the episodes of The Naked Podcaster live and on demand. If you're looking for group coaching one-on-one NLP coaching, or you want to have a super fun speaker, join your conference, head over to my website, momof18.com, and get in touch with me. You can sign up for a 30-minute free strategy session to see if we are a great fit. There's also a lot of free information on my website. There's a free quiz on my landing page designed to reinvent, rediscover, or remember what gives you purpose, passion, and drive, a comprehensive how to start a podcast PDF on my podcast page, and a free PDF copy of my book, Hello, My Name is Warrior Princess on my book page. So check it out at momof18.com. We've had amazing sponsors and if you're interested in being a sponsor or an advertiser, just reach out. I'm so excited today. I have with me Doug Lawrence in Canada. Doug, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, thank you.
0: I'm really excited. This is this is going to be a, a really fun interview, I think. Your website is talentc.ca. We'll have all of that information in the show notes to get in touch with you. But jump in and tell me all about what Talent C is.
1: So, gosh, Talent C started... Uh... Formally, I guess back in 2009, I was doing a bunch of stuff. Not really sure what it was, but I was doing some things that I guess now we would call mentoring, uh, working with uh, university students, job coaching them, and the relationship morphed itself from a job coaching one into a mentoring relationship. And it was they were actually the ones that started me in in the direction that I ended up going. They. They started to do referrals. So they would refer me to somebody else and, you know, get a hold of Doug, he'll help you. And at the end of the day, they said, we can't afford to pay you, but I'm sure somebody else, you know, somebody could. And so I thought, hmm, I think there's something here. So I did some research and launched Talent C as we know it today in 2010. And it basically, the best way for me to describe it is that. Talency is a organization that is focused purely on mentoring. So, nothing but mentoring. I, you know, I dabbled in some stuff before, you know, a little bit, but at the end of the day, my calling is mentoring and that's what Talency is is all about.
0: I love that. so in the in on the page about well your mission, your mission is to make you successful. Um, results and making you successful and you tell a story about a woman with a resume yeah. so I'm kind of curious how often situations like this happen where people are doing a lot of legwork and not getting result and wondering why
1: so and I'll use I'll use there was there was actually a couple examples but the one that seems yeah. to stick, stick out the most in my mind is a is a young young lady that was Actually referred to me by another mentor who said, I just, you know, I can't seem to get through. Uh, I'm just, I I don't know what I'm I'm not doing or what I am doing, so would you mind meeting with this person? And so I did. I set up a meeting to meet with them. And as soon as we actually were going to meet in a coffee shop and as soon as they walked through the door, I went, oh my goodness, here's somebody who is, you know, suffering from uh, self-esteem, self-confidence, self-doubt. All of that, and the funny part of it is is not, it's really not that funny, but is the fact that when they take their resume and they hand you their resume, all that negative energy that they've got captured inside of them speaks through that resume. And I went, oh my goodness, tell me how many interviews you've had in the last six months. Well, none. And you happen to, you know, what are your job prospects? Well, really not that great. And so we end up, we spent some time together and we did a, you know, some different tips and techniques. Like one of the ones I love to use is the yellow post-it notes on the bathroom uh, mirror to be able to say, I am a great person. I can do great things. And that's what we did. And she was able to then kind of do a, a complete makeover. And she ended up getting a job here in, in the city and eventually has, because of her capabilities and her willingness to work, now that she has confidence, she's now working at head office in uh, Ontario. So you know, for that was probably my one of my better examples of you know somebody struggling with with trying to find work and not understanding why they're not being successful.
0: You mentor organizations and individuals, so. W- talk to me a little bit. I I mean, I think most of our listeners will be interested in individuals, but I really want to look at the organizations. Tell tell me what that's like.
1: Yeah, so typically what that involves is a couple different things, probably three main things right now. The first is the idea of mentoring being part of the culture of the organization. So I'll work with organizations. I'll do a culture assessment to determine whether the organization is even mentor ready to to implement a mentoring program. Uh, The second is, you know, to be able to work with some of their employees. One of the uh, services I offer is mentoring versus termination. So if you're actually thinking of terminating your employee, let me spend five hours with them and we should see some change in behavior and some positive results That'll have that'll give you back your productive employee at the end of those five sessions. So,
0: <clears throat> wow, that's incredible. So, really working. Do you do team yeah, building? I, okay.
1: Yeah, actually, what I call it, uh, um, it's a, basically a mentoring circle is what I refer to it as. And with a mentoring circle, I facilitate a dialogue amongst, say, six to ten people and they all come to the table with some challenges or problems that they're dealing with and collectively as a group we work our way through it and i'm just their guide i know the questions to to ask to pose in order to help facilitate you know the critical thinking that needs to happen in order to resolve some of those issues
0: also i know when you're working with a corporation not only eliminating turnover by having people that um, come on getting them productive much more quickly too. I mean, I would think you you actually train someone in the organization to become a mentor, am I, am I correct?
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So we, are, we, you know, there's a couple different things. So the implementation of a mentoring program, so, and that can be a combination of formal and informal mentoring, but we also train people on how to become, or I train people on how to become, you know, an effective mentor. So we give you the tools and techniques that you need to have in your mentoring toolbox in order to be able to make a difference in, in someone's life, to be able to, you know, help that disengaged employee become engaged, to, to be able to, you know, help, you know, somebody who's struggling with confidence in the workplace, to be able to help with that. And what's important today more than anything else is working with the organization and some of its people to deal with mental health and you know post traumatic stress all of those things because organizations today aren't really doing a great job of, of that sort of stuff
0: Oh i hadn't even thought about that considered that that's pretty incredible you you have resources here you have uh, a way for like if you you're, you speak you have resources, you do the certification of mentors, and then the mentoring for individuals and uh, corporations or companies. Tell me a little bit about the blog, the resources, you're speaking, and then you have a book. And if you're on the home page of the website and you go down, it's the bottom right, you can which I bought and I will read. I'm excited about. I love to do that. So I you have there's a lot of things that I want to cover here that you do. Yep. Uh, on top yeah on top of what we've already discussed
1: yeah so you know the the, certainly the certification piece that story by itself has had a couple different legs where when i first started with the certification of mentors it was based on knowledge and so you wrote an exam and if you passed it you that was how you demonstrated that you had the knowledge and, and the certification was issued by an organization out of the United States. So that's who I partnered with. And we reached a time period where the mentoring community was telling me or sending me a message that, you know, the knowledge base is one thing, but we wanna be certified as competent mentors. And so as a result of that, I ended up partnering with a a chap by the name of Dr. Stephen Hobbs in Alberta. And he's a, a guru when it comes to international standards organization criteria and all that, and with the certification just in in general. So he and I have since uh, joined forces to provide now what is a certification process for people to be certified competent as a mentor. So, you know, we've got definitely got the certification piece and I think you had touched on the speaking part, I spoke Yeah, I've spoke, uh, you know, at a number of different conferences, whether they be human resources or, you know, various industries. I'm not an industry-specific sort of person. I speak wherever the need is. And I usually tell the story about, you know, the gift of mentoring and, and how mentoring can make a difference, you know, in someone's life if it's done in an effective manner. So, you know, we've got all of those things and then you know with I've got I published the book The Gift of Mentoring in 2014 and the the book is it's kind of one of those things where I, I I looked around I had I think it was three different people that kept saying you know a little bit of a push and Doug you need to go write a book you gotta write a book mm. and I'm, I'm kind of going yeah you know I'm not really that no I don't think so and then they said no no Listen to us, you have to write this book. You've got to get it written. And so I, based on the pushing and stuff that that I was getting, I ended up I I did write the book, The Gift of Mentoring, with the idea in mind of getting using that as a vehicle to get the message out there about how powerful, how 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 much you can get from a mentoring relationship. And it wasn't for me it, w- it was more so about making sure that i could get those books into the hands of people that were trying to make a difference or t- to or who wanted somebody to make a difference for them because a lot of the other books that are out there are very academically focused and where the one that i've written is very um it's from a practical aspect so it's from uh, it would be What's the best way for me to describe yeah practical I guess the practical aspect of, of mentoring it's taking the process and concepts and putting them into practice within different situations so there's five or six case studies in there that actually okay. that actually will demonstrate how how mentoring has been used to make a difference in someone's life.
0: Wow, I love that. So you speak wherever you want to, and the book—that's th- incredible. Um, the book gets—I uh, have it up on Amazon. Super easy to find and to get. And I love that you just got—you got to share your experiences in that book so that you could help people who were reading it, as opposed to hiring you or in addition to. Yeah,
1: typically, in addition to, like right, okay. you know. I, I, I remember I spoke at a conference in uh, where was I Victoria, um, Vancouver, Victoria, and I took 12 copies of the book with me. And after I spoke at the sort of at the end of when I was done, I said, "What well, you know, I'm I, my apologies for only having brought 12 copies of the book, but here's what I'm going to do: is as as soon as I'm done here, I'll meet whoever wants a copy at the in the lobby at the top of the stairs, well, that was not the smartest thing to have said, but I uh, I got inundated. I was mobbed at the top of the steps by all these people saying, you know, I was here first, can I have a copy? No, no, I was here first, can I have a copy? And I, I, I gave away 20 copies. And, you know, I had such great feedback from people that, that read it, even to the point where I've had people say that, um it would reading the book, it's like you're sitting beside me reading the story to me, because I can actually hear your voice tell the story of the book itself, of the gift of mentoring. And for me, that's that's thanks enough.
0: That's incredible. Let's oh your blog too. You have so much on there. I actually I'm like the article on coaching mentoring and reverse mentoring, the difference between those three. Um, will a bully make a cor- good corporate leader? I was like, "Oh, that's intriguing." So you have really great uh, blog articles there for people as well.
1: Yeah, and you know um, what I've I've got. I'm going to use put those to good use at some stage here. I actually am contemplating taking the blog art of the blog articles and turning them into another book, so into yeah. a, a third book. But um, and we pulled we pulled for the gift of mentoring, we actually pulled some of those blog articles into the book itself as well. So um, the the blog is, I I love to, um, I love to be able to write and tell a story. And so the blog is, is my vehicle to be able to do that, where I get to share my lived experience with whoever wants to read it. And you know, sometimes there's some really good little kernels or nuggets of information in there that you know could make a difference in someone's life. And so to be able to share that is such a powerful thing. But yeah, the blog is certainly a passion of mine. I'm posting stuff on some other sites as well, but I still, the blog is my, that's my, uh, my home base, so to speak.
0: I love it. Let's take a trip back in time, shall we? I know you're in Canada. Okay. That's it. <laughs> okay. that's all I've got so let's go back in time at your story because I am super intrigued by it okay where do you want to start off in your story
1: Uh Saskatchewan farm boy hmm. uh, grew up with my father was an alcoholic and so I, I had to that's that's shaped to some extent that shaped how, whether I liked it or not, I guess that's that shaped how things evolved for me from, from a life perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, I joined the Royal Canadian Mounted Police in 1974, and spent just about 25 years in the force. Uh, I'm a PTS survivor, or at least I think I'm surviving
0: um <laughs> well i mean that what i think so too i think you are
1: okay surviving yeah. <laughs> yeah so once again i became the object of alcohol and uh became a real if you pardon the expression jerk or asshole was probably more appropriate um with my family and i still I still think to this day that I'm truly blessed that they stuck around. Um, I certainly, if if it would have been me, I probably wouldn't have. I would have, I, I, I'd have taken off. But I was a real, I was a class A jerk. Um, combination of the. You know, obviously the mental well-being, but also the alcohol was was the crutch that I ended up leaning on in a couple different times, um, and people don't deserve to be treated like that, so.
0: Can you tell me, as far as having your dad be an alcoholic, the, the way that was in the house, and then compared to... You struggling with the same addiction, so you were on both sides of that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, the the good thing that came out of all of that was my mom and I became very close with each other. I I had a relationship with my mother that was second to none. Um, but with with dad, he uh, you could never you could never do an, an you could never do good you could never do enough of the you know of the right things um, and I was called upon to do because growing up on the farm I was called upon to do stuff that uh, kids my age should not have to be doing at that stage and you know it, it certainly made me begin to wonder and I was I was the object or subject of um, conditional love, so everything okay. everything was about keeping score, so to speak. Is well, I've done this and this and this for you, so therefore you should do something for me, so to speak. And um, I've always, since that time period, I've always tried with 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 my family to make sure that it was not conditional love, but it was unconditional. And, you know, you'd you'd walk through hot coals, crawl over broken glass, you'd do whatever it took in order to help them be happy. And I didn't get to experience that. I, I did to some extent because of mom, but certainly not because of my father. And, you know, it, I'm surprised. I'm actually surprised and somewhat shocked that I I turned to alcohol when I was subjected to it so young. And, and I think we sometimes, you know, when, when it comes to mental health and all of those things, I think we sometimes take the easy route out just because we can't be bothered to put a little effort or work into trying to make what's not a good situation, try to make it a better situation.
0: Did you and your mom get close when you were a kid going through that situation with her?
1: Yes. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Okay. We used to. Mom and I used to. We used to bale straw, and so Mom would drive the tractor, and I'd ride on the what we call the slip on the back, where we'd stack the the straw bales, and then I'd take a crowbar and pry them off and stuff like that. And I can still to this very day remember Mom popping the clutch on the tractor and me going over tea cattle off the back of the slip, and her feeling all so bad and stuff, and I just said it's okay it's okay mom and under my breath i'm saying i know it's going to happen again but it's okay <laughs> and sure enough you know get set to go again and she'd pop the clutch and away i'd go tumbling off the back end but you know that was stuff like that that was part of my upbringing those are the memories that you know you retain and those are the experiences that you kind of you know we can do so much together versus you know I'm going to do this on my own, so to speak.
0: And you guys were, there were no other siblings?
1: I had a, I had a younger brother, yes.
0: Okay, but you guys banded together kind of like survivors in this house.
1: You know, and you actually, that's a good way to describe it, yeah. Okay. That's a real good way to describe it.
0: Were you close to your younger sibling?
1: Um, because of the age difference, uh, there, you know, I was about, th- I think, three years older. I was more involved in the farm operation and stuff, Um, but he was, so, you know, we were close, but, you know, not as close. I look at my son and and daughter and the close relationship that they have. I I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of the things I've said for a couple of years now, probably longer, is that one of the things that I was missing or lacking as I was growing up were some really good relationships. And what i found is that mentoring has now provided me that that vehicle to be able to have those relationships that I normally, you know, that, that was missing from, from my life. So, um, you know, when I look at, people ask you, you know, well, what's been in this for you in the men- with mentoring and that? And I can honestly say relationships. I've got some great, great relationships, some great people that, you know, I can call up and say, well, not right now with COVID and that, but um, I can call up and say, how about we go and grab a coffee at a coffee shop? And, and they're there and, you know, didn't have that before.
0: You mentioned that you're relationship with your father was challenging so taking it further down the road in time a little bit how did that play out before we get into um your use of alcohol how did how did the relationship with your dad play out
1: it i eventually so like i mentioned earlier we we were on the farm and so i graduated from high school and I stayed on the farm to help them, and I told them up front that I was going to help them take the crop off that year, and then I was I was uh, packing my bags and moving on, which I did, and ended up uh, went to Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and got a job working there, and then from there, ended up applying and got accepted into the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and yeah. um, you know there was still. When i think back now i can remember dad always wanted to try to get to every place that i was stationed as a police officer and he always made a point though of saying you know when when things got a little tumultuous he'd always make a point of saying well i hope you appreciate you know the fact that we've made these journeys to where you've been stationed and um you know that we didn't have to do that and i'm going you know, what's going in through my mind is, oh, here we go. You know, it's the old conditional love kick again. And that's the way it was. And, you know, both him and mom, they did make trips to, you know, a lot of the places that we were stationed at. But um, you don't, you don't need to hold that over me as kind of, you know, uh, as a, a bit of a Well, not I guess ransom is the only word that jumps to mind, but you know the the, it it should have been done because we want to see where you are and we want to be part of you know your life going forward and stuff like that, not because we're keeping score of how many places we've been to.
0: And then, live are both of your parents are neither of your parents alive anymore?
1: No, they both uh, they both passed.
0: Okay. Um, Yeah. So what happened with your dad? Because I have bullet points, so I know that there's a situation that happened with your dad. And why didn't... Did that go like you wanted it to?
1: Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, no. So the... the And I'm not sure if you're talking about when he passed, but uh, that that is... Uh, so I ended up... Uh, I got wind that he was ill and passing he hadn't told me himself Mm -hmm. and uh, i got wind of that uh, actually from from his uh, his wife who would now be his it was his second wife Mm -hmm. um and so let me know that he was his health was suffering he had cancer he was probably didn't have much longer to live and didn't want to see me, because I said, well, I'll hop in my vehicle and I'll drive to where he, he was living. And he, you know, he basically didn't want to see me or anything like that. So I thought, well, you know, I'm going to call him and talk to him. And so I called him and I basically, in the call, I, you know, I apologized for not being the son that he probably wanted, because we, him and I, we, we butted heads a lot when it came to the relationship that we had or didn't have, and part of it was, it, it was more so around the fact that um, to bridge the relationship, or to get it back to where it was going to be somewhat okay, was going to require effort <coughs> on, effort on the part of both of us, and what it meant was we from my perspective was that we had to it couldn't go back to the way it used to be which was my way or the highway sort of atmosphere (laughs) atmosphere this was more so about the idea of of meeting each other halfway and when i made the apology and he's he basically had said that you're certainly putting a lot of extra stress on me at this particular time i can't answer you and i need a couple weeks to think about it and so I went, okay, um, I'll call you back in a couple weeks. And I, I, uh, the next call I got was from my brother telling me that he had passed. So, you know, when you start, so there's a great mentoring opportunity for somebody where, you know, how would you deal with that particular situation? And I tell people who are have experienced similar things, at the end of the day, if you can, ask yourself the question, have I done everything that I possibly could to try to make this work? And if the answer to that is yes, then, then you need to move on. But if the answer is no, then you need to start to ask yourself some questions about, well, what could have I done differently? And at what time point in that relationship or whatever you want to call it, um, what could have I done differently in order to be able to change the outcome? And for me, personally it was the aspect of I had gone I'd I'd gone halfway already I was standing at the halfway marker kind of waiting and he wasn't you know god bless him he wasn't willing to take those extra steps and so I'm okay with that
0: that's a tough one huh
1: Yeah, yeah
0: yeah you have um Extended family, also. What did you have grandparents and stuff living around there? Was there extended family involved in the farm or in your life?
1: Yeah, my uh, my one grandmother uh, lived about 18 miles away, and my grandmother on my dad's side actually lived in the farmhouse as well and, and not in the farmyard as well. So, um, she had her own house and 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 stuff, and and then we had our place on in the same farmyard. was that great um it was certainly good for for me to be able to have a great relationship with my grandmother and you know um, play Crokinole on Sundays and you know Sunday dinners and or noon meals I guess it was um, to be able to have that that relationship uh, that part you know was good um, and I guess on a negative side, I suppose, was that because we lived right there, we had to do the bulk of the chores and stuff like that, you know, the farm chores and stuff instead, you know, instead of it maybe being shared and stuff like that, so um, because my dad's brother and his family lived about a mile to the north of where we lived. And so, and it was a, a the two brothers had the farm together, so yeah. would I do it again? I think, I think the farming experience helped give me some different philosophies on life in general. But the idea of, you know, two brothers partnering with on a on a farm in a farm, no, I probably wouldn't do that one.
0: You mentioned mental health. You've you've mentioned that uh, a couple times. In relation to yourself, and before I want to get in that, I I know when we when you sent me the email, you said that you had a grandfather that suffered from mental health challenges. Did were you old enough to understand that or remember that?
1: No, uh, he took his own life when I was probably I think three or four years of age. Okay, and it was kept a secret uh, for a long period of time, and it was finally i think after i moved back here and was having a conversation with my parents that that the cat was let out of the bag to say yes your your grandfather uh took his own life um and what was you know when you think of how times have changed they the local community where we lived there was a cemetery there and they wouldn't allow him to be buried because he had taken his own life. Oh so, yeah, right. So they had. We ended up. We had. To, he ended up being buried in in another uh, small. It's a city now. In a small city, um, it was about eighteen to twenty miles away. So that's where he ended up being buried.
0: That was a huge thing in the Catholic Church. Oh yeah. Yeah, huge. Wow, that's that's incredible. Okay, so let's let's move forward. You move out finally and you join the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and you spent 25 years in law enforcement. That Correct. and then I want to relate that because of the mental health thing your own PTSD until, and you didn't even realize until you did your own research regarding mentoring and mental health. And so I'd love to know about your experience on the police force and what created the PTSD and how you recognized it.
1: Well, I think, I think I didn't recognize it until, until now, like you had mentioned with the research and that. Yeah. I, I, I had no clue. I, I, absolutely did not have a clue that that's what it was. I just thought, you know, some of the, I guess the demented sick behavior that we had to utilize in order to get through some of the stuff, I just thought everybody does that. And, you know, um, that's not the, the, the case. And I, you know, some of the experiences that I have, they're certainly not for, you know, anybody who is, Of the week week of mine because some of them were you know pretty pretty uh, grotesque and some of the things we had to do to you know to make things happen are not things that I'm necessarily proud of today but you know at the particular time point that was what I had to deal with so um,
0: so it's basically just coping due to the experience you had in law enforcement
1: yeah yeah that's probably the easiest way for us to describe it is that yes you know it was what are what are the coping mechanisms that i'm going to use in order to be able to you know to get through this and you know sometimes it was sick humor was some of it and a lot of the times it was you know it was alcohol and you know you'd finish your shift and you'd come home and you know And this was when I was single was when it was quite noticeable was you know you'd grab a bottle of whiskey and throw the lid away and and you'd sit there and and drink until you thought you fixed the problem but you actually all you had done is make it worse so you know and then you know just trying to figure out how am I going to get through that and be able to make that actually work was probably a big, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I I faced was, how am I going to get through all of this, you know, on, on top of it all? And I know, you know, going through when I was courting my wife in uh, Northern BC, and, you know, us being separated for a period of time and, and stuff like that, because she had to go back home and I had to stay where I was and stuff like that. And, you know, the the stuff that we we had to work through and, the, you know, the sense of the feeling of depression because you were separated and you didn't have that person that you could lean on. So you'd come home and not, you know, your the trailer would be empty, um, you know, as it had been before I met her. And I got to experience what it was like to actually have somebody around that you could say, you know this is how I feel is that normal behavior um, and and to not have that you know we went through we both did actually we both went through some times of you know uh, depression and obviously a lot of uh, you know mental health you know even to the point of you know at some stage rightly or wrongly you know talking about, you know, if if we can't get together soon, that sort of thing that, you know, maybe we'll have to end this in an unpleasant way. And, you know, I think, gosh, how can, how can I, how could I even begin to think like that? And because, you know, you, you have so much to offer to other people that, you know, all you need to be able to do is to have somebody that can listen and hear you know, what it is that you're experiencing, and and even even that sometimes is all we really needed to have was just somebody to listen and hear, and, you know, I didn't always have that.
0: You Your relationship with her, it sounds like you let her know pretty early on about the alcoholism, about what you didn't know was PTSD at the time, yeah. but the issues that you were going through, and did that almost create, A unique sort of um, I don't know what the right word is dysfunction or mental health issue between the two of you in the beginning or or did it end up helping
1: it actually made us stronger and and you know if if there was any advice that I could give to any couple it's for Pete's sakes communicate you know and, and and don't you know when i'm working with people today and it, we end up having a conversation about relationships and, and i always try to drive home you know you need to make sure that you're communicating with each other and sometimes you know it may very well mean one of my favorite sayings is that's not the hill i want to die on and so you know compromise and and have the conversations have the discussions about you know this is how I feel. When you said what you said, this is how it made me feel. Or, you know, um, I really don't feel like going over to the Joneses tonight. Are you okay with that? Can we maybe stay home and just spend some time together? You know, have the conversation and make sure that you've, you know, you share how you feel and you get that on the table at a very early start in the relationship.
0: You guys got married and ended up having kids, so take me down the road of the alcoholism. She knew about it in the beginning, the alcohol use, but how did that play itself out and at what point, if any, did you consider your father and being in the reverse role? Well, I think I
1: considered him almost every time I had more than what I should. Uh, you know of, uh, of alcohol and it would be oh gosh shades of my father and I would try to you know correct my behavior uh, my wife was very very understanding and so were the kids at you know we we have to try to you know be there to help dad work his way through this because we know that inside that that person there is a better person just waiting just crying to get out and so we you know we need to be resilient enough to be able to help him do that and and they did you know they uh they did just that
0: that's amazing so your wife was really supportive of the situation yeah at what point did that did you decide that it needed to end or that there needed to be intervention was there therapy what did the two of you go through and what about the kids
1: you know I think it was more so about us coming back to that that common place of we needed to communicate and we had some really long long conversations where we talked about is this the type of relationship that we want one that's infused by by alcohol and we didn't we didn't want that so there had to be changes made and you know you know you and it's it's not when I think of where I am today, um, the solutions that we had proposed were not necessarily um, for the long term. They would probably buy us you know time, and we'd have to revisit the relationship again to sort of say, okay, you know, we're back repeating what or I'm back repeating what what got us you know where we questioned our relationship, what got us to that point, and I don't want that. So we ended up, you know, um, sort of rejigging everything and, and getting back on track so that the relationship became stronger as a result of that.
0: That's incredible. And what about the kids? And your wife didn't struggle with alcohol use then?
1: No, no. Okay.
0: So, what about the kids and the relationship, and what they saw, how they have felt?
1: You know, I what I see today, and um, is that the relationship that I know that I have with both my son and daughter is one that's exceptionally strong today. Um, you know, we're 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 going through some tough times right now. Um, And they're there to help support me. So, my wife passed away on the 6th of February from cancer. So, we've been, we've been. Holy
0: cow, Doug.
1: Yeah. So, we've been, you know, working our way through that. And my son and daughter, you know, and, you know, my daughter in law and some close personal friends and my son in law, everybody has come together when you want people to be steadfast and true in a relationship that's the example of what i'm i'm exposing what i'm exposed to right now is everybody's there for everybody and you know it's 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 been such a blessing to see um so yeah so i i've i'm seeing the the side that i knew of of both my son and daughter i knew it was there and and now it's it's actually um Now it's actually starting to show.
0: You're less than a month from losing your wife. I am so sorry, I had no idea. Oh, it's well,
1: thank you for that. Um, This is therapeutic for me anyhow, so this is good. And I'm I'm still glad that we've, you know, we had the opportunity to have the conversation because it is, it's, I think I find that with a lot of people when it comes to dealing with grief and trauma that we love to keep it bottled up inside because it's too painful to talk. I can tell you that I'll talk your ear off if you give me the chance just because it helps me feel you know that much better as a result of that. Well you come
0: to the right place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I We're definitely going to visit this. I want okay. to know about the PTSD did you and your wife discover this together? Did it make a lot of things click into place for you? What did you do for yourself to get through it at the time? Because it sounds like the two of you had this great relationship where she really supported you and worked on things and wanted to move forward through them.
1: Yeah, the I think the, the, the PTS we didn't know is kind of like my mentoring story, right? Is I'm doing things that you know people have keep asking me to do more of but i don't know what it's called and and it took some time for me to finally realize that yeah what i'm doing and what my calling is is mentoring and it's kind you know kind of the same sort of thing with the post-traumatic stress is that um, it, it was taking place and going on we didn't know what it was and it was only actually to be truthfully honest it was only once i started to to do my research on post-traumatic stress and the mental health mentor and and the material that you know I'm going to use for my second book on mentoring and mental health. It wasn't until we started to have those conversations. And she was as much a part of that journey as what I was. Because that's that's part of what what we evolved to over time was that we're in this together. We're going to take this wherever it may end up, we're taking it together. And so she understood she we had I can remember numerous couch, couch conversations where, you know, now I understand why you behaved the way you did. And now I understand this, and now I understand that. And it was, you know, because we, we had that open line of communication, we were able to work our way through it. And I went, you know, I'm really truly sorry for how I behaved.
0: That's a tough thing to look in the mirror and have that conversation with even more difficult with the person that you love like that
1: and and I'm maybe it's I'm just I'm different maybe but I found that having the conversation with my wife was probably one of the easier things to do Um, Mm. and I think a large part of that is because that that was the premise that our relationship was built on. If I can't talk to you, then what are we doing here, right? And right. we we had those conversations. We always did, and we we used to talk, tell other people, you know, take the time to have the conversation, and and just remember that there's going to be times when that's not a hill you want to die on, and you 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 just need to work your way through it because at the end of that journey is this beautiful rainbow that you're going to absolutely love because you you will have taken the time to work your way through it.
0: I guess I think having conversations shouldn't be difficult because I agree, it's like that with my husband too, but asking forgiveness is a different kind of conversation.
1: I, I think part of that is if I believe So asking for forgiveness, if if I believe in myself as an individual and that I've reached that decision that I need to ask for forgiveness, then, you know, what is there that's standing in my way of actually doing that? And there should be nothing. I should, if I've taken the time to build the relationship that I expect that I should have with my significant other, that... There should never be a time that I'm questioning whether I, I can ask for forgiveness. I just need to be able to ask. And the other part of that is what, what precipitated or what got us to the place where I have to ask for forgiveness? What did I do that I need to, to be able to, that I have to, I feel that I have to ask that question. And you know, a lot of times, if, if we can deal with that before we have to ask that other question, then that's just going to strengthen the relationship just that much further.
0: I know in the beginning of our conversation about the struggles, you were a little emotional about the things that you felt you put your family through. So I wasn't sure what was difficult in that situation for you, if it was the conversation and the forgiveness or coming to terms with it on your own. So.
1: So are are you talking about the, the one with my father or are you No,
0: with your family yeah. and what you put them through knowing yeah. what your father did.
1: Yeah. It it and the emotional part comes from Yeah. Comes from the aspect I think of of realizing that had of you know had have we done some things differently that you know the the outcome in those particular situations would very likely have been something different and yeah. i you know i look at it from i i was truly i am truly blessed that you know i had a i had a supportive wife and you know two children that recognize like I had said earlier that inside that shell of a person is a better person and we just have to help help them come out you know come out of that shell and and be part of of our family to be you know
0: yeah yeah you said that she passed away of cancer less than a month ago. Yeah. Uh, how different was it for you to be able to be there for her? to what I'm imagining was a pretty difficult time.
1: It it was, you know, it was, I was glad that I was able to to be there and, you know, she was hospitalized for, well, diagnosed on the 7th of December and passed on the 6th of February. And so she was, for the most part, with the exception of a short period where we actually got to have her here at home, she was for the most part in, in the hospital and You know, everybody, everybody stepped to the plate, and that sounds a little harsh, but everybody came together. So we have, you know, our best friends, Deb's, her girlfriend, who, you know, everybody rallied around. And when we were allowed to, thanks to COVID, when we finally were given the opportunity to spend time with her in the hospital everybody you know took a turn and you know it it was and everybody was respectful of each other wanting to have that time with her and you know we we juggled it the schedules around but there was always somebody on the other side
0: that's amazing i want to end on a high note like i always do back at your website, we, we've gotten to know you a lot and I am so yeah. grateful for that. Let me know, well, I have a couple questions about this. So with everything you've gone through in your life and now helping other people, is there one, are there a couple issues that come up predominantly? You mentioned confidence and self-esteem before, even showing up on the resume. Are there, are there a short list of things that are very, very common in mentorship?
1: well what we're seeing now what i'm seeing now is definitely the the whole self-esteem self-confidence self-doubt self-worth all of those those are definitely things that i can usually pick up on relatively quickly but the other one that that is and i i'm i'm at a point now where i'm actually getting ready to publish another blog article mental health the silent pandemic and and so, for me, what I'm starting to see is more and more people experiencing mental health symptoms, where, where we maybe weren't as as aware of that before, but we certainly are now. And now is the time that we need to sort of, you know, a call to action is now is the time that we need to be able to step forward and provide those those people with the help, and you know, the support structure that they need to begin that healing journey that they're probably just wanting to get started. So yeah, I would have to say it would be those, you know, those two things primarily. Um, There's, you know, there's lots of other things that, you know, that we touch on or that I touch on with people in a mentoring relationship. Um, I'm a huge proponent of focusing on the personal growth side before I target the uh, professional development side. So Mm -hmm. their career and all that stuff. Because if, if we can't get if we can't get to some common ground with how you are as a person, we're not going to be able to get you anywhere career wise. So those those would be the main ones.
0: What who's your ideal client? Where where are they at and what do they want? <laughs> All of them. I mean, recognizing and getting help for mental health is enormous in and of itself. Yeah. So
1: You know, I, I just I've worked with all kinds of. I think I counted it here. Oh, well, probably a couple of months ago now. But I think I've I've worked in 32 or 35 different industries, where I've gone in and worked with employees and and leaders in the organization, and I've gone in there without industry specific experience. And my one of my favorite sayings is, "Industry specific experience is a nice to have, not a need to have." And I'll go in and I'll I use that as my way to learn stuff about the company, about the person as a, as a whole, simply because I'll ask a whole bunch of questions.
0: Yeah. I'm going to throw uh, something out that is my a personal belief statement for me, and you can see if it resonates with you. I think one thing that people really lack, that we crave and we don't recognize, is being seen. Yeah. Really being seen for who we are. And so I'm guessing that that's your experience also.
1: Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People, uh, you know, and it, it's almost like coming out of the closet, so to speak. But people need to take that step out, and sort of, you know, and, and part of part of what we do with mentoring is we help you become that much better of a person. Because I like I like to see people. I always I like to tell a story about a young lady that I was mentoring. And um, I describe her in the beginning as that person that if they walked into a room that had poor lighting, you wouldn't see her at all. She would be just covered, you know, covered in the darkness of that light or lack of light. And after she spent some time and we went through and we basically did a makeover, number one in her believing who she was, but also much to her husband demise, I convinced her to go, you know, and maybe pick up some, a couple of different articles of clothing that would speak to who she was as a person. And I said, you're going to find that What's going to happen is you're going to walk into a room. The new you will walk into a room. And I said, they can leave the lights off because you're going to glow and shine so much that you're going to provide your own light in that room. And she did just that. And so we need more of that.
0: That's a great, place to thank you for being here today i am so grateful that you shared your story and that you you trusted me to hold space for you while you did that thank you so much doug
1: yeah well thank you so much for this opportunity
0: absolutely